Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen? Greetings. It's amazing, the weather in Ohio. Last week we were piling five-foot piles of snow in the parking lot. And uh, today, hey, it's practically on the verge of spring. So, great day in Ohio. You know, things have a way of turning around. You know, we had that extreme weather that you know, even froze a whole flock of geese in the field. I mean, it was just brutal, you know, and scary. Uh, and then, you know, a few days later, it's 60 degrees. Things, things can change pretty quick, right? In Psalm 91, our call to worship, it reminds us how things can change quickly. And it reminds us where we should live, you know. And in Ohio is not the place. It's that we should dwell with God. Psalm 91 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So Ohio is officially not my favorite state. I think the state of the shadow of the Almighty is going to be my favorite place to be. Amen? I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, and He is my fortress. He is my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. And from the noisome pestilence, he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Everybody say, God is where I want to live. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh unto thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under your feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. This is where God enters the psalm. God is singing here. Think of this as God is saying this about you. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. We know the name of Jesus today. Amen. We can call on him and he will answer. That's what it says in the next verse. He shall call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him. And you know what? He doesn't just say he will deliver him. I will deliver him and I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What a beautiful psalm. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you save us, that you honor us, Lord, that you share, let us share in your glory, the glory of your great work of saving the world. Lord, we thank you that you didn't just save us from something horrible, but that you joined us to something amazing and beautiful and fantastic, Lord. Lord, we ride with you, Lord, as you trample your enemies under feet. And the lion and the adder, the dragon, Lord, shall be trodden under our feet, Lord. Lord, we pray today as we come before you, singing your praises, offering our petitions, asking for your forgiveness and uh, learning about your word. Lord, that you would change us through it. Lord, that we would see that we are indeed on a pathway and on a journey of life, one that will indeed glorify you, Lord, in our bodies. Lord, And we are so thankful that there is purpose in everything we do, that we will glorify you, whether it be in our life or in our death. We are part of the story you are telling. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Praise Father's 
for you my text. I'm, I was kind of enjoying Jonathan. Jonathan's got a high, he was doing a high tenor uh, to the doxology there and it was kind of pretty there, Jonathan. I, was, I enjoyed that. Um, my sermon today is called Out of the Snare. Everybody say, Out of the Snare. Yeah, I'm going to preach Psalm 124 in its entirety and I'm going to uh, read it as our text. And uh, I have a very special message from the Lord for you today from this text. Psalm 124, beginning in verse, well, beginning with the inspired heading, a psalm of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. The waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the great gift that your word is to us. Lord, as we look into it and long to understand why you put it there for us to sing and to pray and to understand, Lord, may we learn from it and learn something that will change us and make us more like we should be. Lord, make us holy today. In Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Once upon a time, I had an incredible experience while staying in the mountain village of Chuk in Chin State, Myanmar. Probably along with me, there are several others who have been to this place who uh, think of it as a very happy place. We had seen the Kang Chin in their cultural dress on display. They had showed us how they had done a lot of different things that they did. We danced with them. We sang with them. We even feasted with them on the large forest ox called the Maitam known only among those hills, and they had caught and killed it for us. Remember that, kids? Uh, some of my kids were part of that. Remember that, Benj? Benj even helped go and tr- uh, get that thing and, and bring it to the village, this beast of a creature. Uh, we did some amazing things. I was having so much fun getting to know them that I wanted to know even more. And when I was young, I spent a great deal of my time hunting or reading about hunting and I've hunted all kinds of different animals with bows and guns and tracking and dogs and all kinds of stuff. That was a big part of my life. And so uh, I thought perhaps that I could go on a hunt with them. Talk about a dream come true. Talk about something on a man's bucket list he didn't even know was on his bucket list. To be in a mountain village with people that live off the land, who've lived there for thousands of years, who are going to take you on a hunt. Now, guys, seriously, you know, you you can't make this stuff up. So I asked him if I could go, and Pastor Nang was wagging his head. He's like, Pastor Mark, you will be dying. You cannot cannot go with these men. You, you, You cannot climb the hill. I'm like, shut up, Pastor Nang. I will go hunting with the hunting party when they leave in the morning. He goes, well, it's going to be dark. And I'm like, what, do you think? You think I can't get up? What is wrong, you know? So the next morning before sunup, as most hunts always begin, I soon learned that my body was not what it used to be. Just following along as they made their way to the top of the next mountain, it nearly killed me. And I got up about halfway there, and I did not know this, but I went into what is called rhabdomyolysis, okay? And it is when 
you, your body is freaking out. And so I had, I had gone over 9,000 feet. We were up about almost about 10,000 feet. And all of a sudden I realized I cannot walk. I can't go anywhere. And I fell down. So I like fell down in utter exhaustion and I couldn't get up. And then finally I used a tree to pull my body up and I'm standing there holding the tree. And you think, now what were you doing? I'm thinking, if I fall down, I will never get up again. I mean, that's how bad it was. And I'm holding onto the tree and I'm, you know, whatever. And, but I'm like, they're like, oh, we will carry you. I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. If I'm going hunting, I'm going hunting. And if I can't, then just leave me here to die. You know, and they were laughing at me, but it really wasn't all that funny. Uh, but I survived it. Okay. So I had no idea what they were planning. And when my condition finally stabilized and I was able to walk more than two or three steps and able to breathe, we came to this very beautiful place and we sat down and I was kind of like, well, Hey, you know, maybe I should have just passed out when we got here instead of like, right. A hundred yards ago, which was all about what it was, uh, from where we were going. But it was a great day. I will tell you this. It's one of the best days in my entire life I've ever had. And there was nobody with me. Nobody. None of my kids were on this trip. It was just me and the guy we call Hunter Dude, which because we can't pronounce his name, whose voice is so deep that he talks like this, you know, and he sings very beautiful. Anyway, he's a great guy. But, you know, from then on out, we were buddies. You know, he's he's holding my arm and and whatever. All right. So I was outfitted in jungle gear. I was festooned with a safari hat and I was leaning against this tree, kind of taking in the whole scene. And we were on the edge of this clearing and they began to gather these little sticks, maybe, you know, three, four, five feet long. And they start wrapping something around these sticks. And I had no idea what they were doing. And I thought, you know what? I can't even talk to these guys. There's no one up here who even speaks English with me. Uh, there was a, an interpreter, but he was kind of out in the woods with a slingshot trying to shoot birds. And it was, I'm like, whatever, I'll just figure it out as, it go, as we go along here. One guy was making homemade bullets out of lead with this knife. And I'm just, I'm just enjoying the whole thing. There's a fire going. And then some guy starts walking through the woods. That's not even with our party. And he starts chopping down this tree, like 30 feet from us. I'm like, what is going on? No one even knows who this guy is. What in the world is going on? This is the craziest thing. Well, but what they were doing is they were taking these little sticks and they were covering them with glue. And I saw that they were getting glue out of a can and instantly temp. Like when I go hunting, I don't like to go where I see any other human beings. Okay. I'm like a, a person that likes to be out there. Right. You know, I don't go to a pay pond to go fishing. You know, like I'm going to stand next to 14 guys. Like this is not my idea of fun. And so when they opened the can and start putting, I realized that they had a can and they're putting, I'm like, I thought I was getting ready to experience the organic, you know, backwoods, jungle kind of a deal, but it's just glue in a can. And, I, and, and you know what, I didn't tell a lot of people about it because honestly, I was kind of like embarrassed the whole thing, like, okay, whatever. They get glue out of a can from India, whatever. And I didn't know what they were doing. But as we sat quietly a short distance away by the fire, listening to the sounds of the wild, a beautiful, beautiful bird flew by. And it landed on one of these sticks. And then one of the guys walks up and walks over and the bird can't, the bird is stuck to the stick. And he gets the bird and he brings the bird over to me and he kills the bird and we eat the bird. And I'm like, okay, now, wow, I didn't really expect that. How many, how many was expecting that to happen? I wasn't expecting that to happen. Now at the time, I wondered if the glue they used, which came from a can, was kind of like civilization encroaching on what it might have been a really great thing, but it really wasn't. What, here's what I learned. The whole experience, though, was it was so filled with pleasure. I just didn't really want, I wanted to ignore the can part. And, you know, that was until I began researching Psalm 124. And you go, what in the world could this possibly have to do with anything? Well, do you know that people have been making glue and putting them on sticks and catching birds for about 6,000 years? Did you guys know this? I did not know this. And I didn't realize that what I was watching is, yes, they found a source of it that you could buy, but they used to make it themselves. This glue is made of linseed and a bunch of different things, and they know how to do that. But it was easier for them to just get a can. But what they were doing is absolutely something that is, that is uh, very unique to these kinds of cultures. 
And it was something that was done in the Bible. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today is about the snare of the fowler. How many have heard that statement in the Bible? God will save you. We did it from Psalm 91, right? He will save you from the snare of the, of the fowler. And I, I had thought about doing a, like a practical message. I, I started looking through the Bible and there are hundreds of references to hunters, traps, right? Of snares, of pits, of all these things. There's 77 references just to the snare of, that catches a bird, okay? But there are hundreds of references to the pit that's digged and the, the trap that's set and all of this stuff. And I had thought about doing a practical message for you on the different kinds of snares we can fall into, very practical. But that's not what the Lord really wanted to be the focus, and that's not really what the focus of this psalm is about. And so maybe when we're doing a Proverbs night, because Proverbs mentions the snare quite a lot, but, you know, picture the very practicality of it. You know, a bird is just flying around doing its normal thing, and what's it do? It lands on a branch? I mean, we're not talking, you know, it's done for. Why? Its feet are stuck. It can't get away, and what is it? It's a meal for some other person, right? So... Psalm 124 is about being caught in a trap from which you could not, everybody say could not, you could not on your own escape. That bird that landed on that branch, who died that day, which was beautiful, it had no hope of escape. And when the man walked over and put it in his hand, it was in worse shape than it was being on that stick, right? It's in the trap, now it's in the hand, then it was in the mouth. This analogy is found many, many times in the Bible. And we know that our world is filled with traps. Some set by others deliberately, some set by the devil and his minions. In fact, the Bible says we should not be ignorant of these things. And it reminded me, Amy, of uh, a mouse. Like imagine if they had like a school for mice, you know, it's like, all right, you're going to be wandering around if you ever make it into a human being's house and there's going to be this stuff that will just, you're just going to think it's the greatest thing in the world. It, it's, 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 it's called peanut butter and it smells amazing and you're going to want some of that, but don't do it because you're going to die if you get any peanut butter because they're usually with a trap. Like if there was a mouse school, right? So when the Bible says, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices, we should know that our life is not only uh, complicated by the stupid things we do, the dumb branches we land on, okay, but of traps that people deliberately set and the devil, what does the Bible say? Not to be ignorant of what he's doing. He's out to get you. He's out to trap you. And, but that's not what the message is about. But just so you know, the Bible talks about this a lot. On our own, sometimes we find ourselves in situations, this is what we're going to focus on, where there is no hope. Everybody say, no hope. I mean, if you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have a boat and you're by yourself and you're floating and a great white shark happens to come along and put you in its mouth, where are you? Are, are you at a place where maybe you can do something about that? No. No, it won't really matter what you do. There's no hope. You know, you're taking a walk through the Serengeti and you're 10 miles from the nearest car and a pride of lions walks up on you. Is there really anything you're going to do here? Like, I think I'm going to outrun it. You know, like, no, no. And one of those lionesses comes over and whacks you and puts you in her mouth and starts walking off. Is there any hope? There's no hope. And in that moment, you know it. And I don't know what it's like to die, but I can imagine there's a moment that comes where you go, okay, this is, this is it. <laughs> you know, this is the end of it all. And many times in our, when we're on our own, there's no hope. But I have an announcement to make that is something important for us. We are never alone. We serve a God who doesn't sleep or slumber, who watches out for us. And he is ready to come when we call, even when we are in the mouth of a lion. God's word says his angels watch over us, encamping around us, keeping watch by day and night. He has also given us one another to help pull us out of these things that are sticking to us and trapping us out of the pits and pull us out of the pits that we have fallen into. 
And for this, we should give thanks to God today. This is a psalm about giving thanks when God saves us from something we could not have saved ourselves from. Out of the snare. Psalm 124, which is a very short psalm, which you've already heard, has an inspired heading telling us that it is a psalm of ascent. It is the fifth psalm of the 15 psalms of ascent listed in Scripture. And this one is ascribed to David. And if there was ever a Bible character who knew and understood what it was to be saved by God from desperate circumstances, it was David. Right? The shepherd singer who came to Saul's house to drive away evil spirits and, and is nearly pinned to the wall by a javelin. The man who finds himself time and time again pursued and, and harried and chased and surrounded and hopeless many, many times and doing what? And calling on God. Okay, God, this is it. <laughs> I'm going to eat my last meal and I'm going to die. I'm hiding out in this cave, but if they find me, I'm a goner. Oh, the army is surrounding me. Here they are. His multitude of near-death experiences uniquely qualifies him to write the words of this song of Israel. And as we begin here in verse 1, I'll just read it again for you. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. And then there's a comma and it says, now may Israel say. So if you want to know what's going on here, something very odd that we've never seen in a psalm ever. Okay. David begins with a half sentence, he stops himself and then he asks the people who are listening to join him and he says it again. So if I were going to say that, it'd be like, all right, if God hadn't been there to save us or to save me, hey, wait a minute, why don't you join me? Hey, if God hadn't been there to save us, can you see what's going on? He's moving from me. He's moving from what God has done that he is talking about from his perspective and he's wanting to get other people to join him. He sees that Israel, it, this is not just about him personally, but that Israel at times had no hope for salvation. A sentence that brings up the question of what would have happened if, everybody say if. There's actually a kind of a famous line in uh, C.S. Lewis's One of the Chronicles of Narnia where they ask him, well, what would have happened if? And you know what? Aslan basically says, that's not really for you to know. Don't worry about it, right? Because we don't know everything. But here we have a psalm asking the question, if, if. You ever think about that? You ever think about something that you've been through or that you're going through or that you survived and you go, you know what? If... God had not intervened, what would have happened? You ever think about that? I won't, I'll let this person share this story if they want to. Someone today told me that their child choked just yesterday and could have died, but someone happened to see them choking. They can tell you about it later. Can you think of that story if... What if their child had not seen it? I was with one of my children and I happened to walk in the room last week and uh, they were helping cook and they setting on the stove and I look over and they're on fire, but they don't even know it. And if I had not been there, I think what could have happened? What would have happened had I not been right there? Nobody got hurt, nothing really bad happened, but what if I was not there? You ever think about that if... You ever get in a, you're in a car and, and you're there and someone says, hey, look, and you look up and the car in front of you is stopped. And if they had not said, hey, then what? You'd be in the other car in fragments and pieces, broken, maybe dead. He transitions from, hey, I'm going to say what I think to, hey, why don't you join me in thinking this? Hey, Israel, why don't you say this with me? You see, this is a novel approach. Indeed, it's quite provocative. He starts to say something from his own heart about he, how he feels, and then he invites Israel to say it with him. He knows this is something that many can relate to. You know, imagine 
You're, there, there are a lot of you, you're experiencing something together, kind of like we do, you know, hey, have we as a church experiencing something, all of us together? Yep, have we experiencing something really difficult all together? Yeah, we have. And hey, we're on the other side of it and we survive, but sometimes we don't want to really remember that. We really don't want to think about it. But what David is doing is he inviting us to remember the horrible thing again. And you might go, well, I don't really like that. Didn't the Bible say forgetting those things which are behind? Yeah, he does. And we're going to forget about them, but we're going to remember them too. Okay? Because what we're going to do, and you're going to see what David does, is David remembers the story, but he remembers it now with a new character in the story. You know, sometimes when we're, uh, we experience something, we forget that when we were there, God was there too, right? I mean, when we are listening to uh, uh, someone tell a story, I was mentioning this up here, when someone is telling a story and I'm like, let me tell you about this time when I almost died. Now you're standing there, so Joy, when I'm telling the story, you're not really worried that I'm going to die because I'm telling the story. But you're in the story like, that happened to you? The cow jumped and did this and almost killed you. Like, well, what happened next? And you're excited, but you're excited with a different kind of excitement. In fact, you even begin to laugh about it because why? Because I'm right here. I'm telling you the story and I'm reliving this near-death experience that I have and it becomes a source actually of joy, right? You're like, you would not believe what happened to me. And then the car flew through and then there was this thing. And then, wow. And then, you know, why? It's a story. And this is what is happening. David is wanting them to remember what happened to them. But he's wanting them to then remember that there was someone else in the story with them. Which is God. In this verse, we also see how God uses others to help us say what we need to say. To think about what we need to think about and to do what we need to do. Folks, we need each other. They say, I need you. It's what David is doing. He's not only thankful for what God has done for Israel. He wants all of Israel to join in the feast of these blessings. We need one another let Foundation Church now say, I need my brothers and sisters. We need one another. It's not enough to say you all need one another. I know that I need you. And we all need one another to help us when we fall prey to the devices of others or even our own foolishness. Sometimes we're just landing on a branch. Sometimes we're just on our way living our life, and we're like, hey, this looks like a neat place to land, and we're stuck. So do you know what I mean? Think of a time in your life when you saw no way out, no hope, no way of escape from something you knew could swallow you up. And you go, now, come on, I don't like to think about these things. I know. Maybe you remember what it was like to be lost, stuck in a life that you know well would have led to a terrible and unbearably bad existence. Some of us don't like to think of that. I, I know your stories, much of your stories. And I, I look at your life and I think, what if, what if, Christina? What if the Lord wasn't there? Where would you be living? Would these little ones be in your life? Would you be here what if, Jonathan, had God not intervened in your life when you were in this place where you felt trapped and your future was going to be one thing? What if, right? Many of us who, uh, and those that came to know the Lord or uh, were brought out from sin in our lives, sin when it is finished, what does sin do? It brings forth death. I thought of Chris and Joy. I thought of you. And you're smiling today because I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. If the Lord had not been on your side, Brother Chris, and you could just finish the story, Joy, if the Lord had not helped you, you would have continued to live a life in sin 
in difficulty, in pain? And where would it be today? And where would you be today? We, sometimes we don't really like to think about that because we forget that where we are now, that, that, that the beauty of that story is where we were. Right? I, the men. Uh, you know what? Hey, I, I once was blind. Well, if you, if, if you were never blind, you cannot have the story of I once was blind, but now I see. Right? The man who was by the gate beautiful when Peter and John came to the temple in Acts chapter 3, 50 years. But what? What does he do? He rises up walking and leaping and praising God and everyone is moved and everyone knows and they're like, because the man on whom the miracle was done was 50 years old, he knew. Just like the, 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 the woman in Rakhine, she's gone years and years of not being able to hear and now she, now her story, she goes everywhere to, oh, did you know? For years, I walked around in a silence. I walked around, couldn't, couldn't communicate, didn't know what. I, I offered my prayers to the, the gods of whatever and I went to the Buddhist temple and I, I talked to a monk and I wondered, am I always going to live in this silence? But then there was a man who came to town and I could smell the meat cooking and I saw people gathering for teaching and I went. But I couldn't even hear what he was saying, but I thought to myself, if there was some way that God could answer my prayer. People let me know that this man could pray. And like the woman who had thought to herself, if I could just touch the hem of the garment of Jesus. Oh, we're going to be with them in heaven. And folks, what makes their life? You might, she's not going to go, let me tell you about all the years I had the issue of blood. Let me tell you about all the things, the money that I spent and now my life was ruined. And no, she's going to say, she's going to start the story. She'll go, ah, oh, it was the one who crawled on my hands and feet. Who thought if I could just get to the hem of Jesus' garment. And when I touched it, the whole world stopped. I didn't even realize how healed I was until he stopped and he said, who touched me? Virtue left my body. What is life that is not a part of a story? It could be that since you've come to know Christ, you may fall into a pit of sin. Maybe you're still in one right now. You may have felt or even might still feel right now very alone with no way out. And we want to forget these things, but we should not. Maybe remembering them in a different way or a way that brings us closer to God is the road to healing. The older I get, the more people I talk to. We are living in a world filled with people that are carrying around the wounds of the traumas of their past, things that were done to them. I cannot count the number of people that are older that you, you meet and you're like, this is a per person's like 60 years old and, and next thing you know, they're talking to you about something that happened to them when they were 12 years old and they cannot get over it. They cannot get past it. It keeps coming and trying to pull them back into the pit. It keeps making them want to withdraw from people. It keeps affecting their relationships with the people around him. They can't trust others. They expect horrible things to happen. They're, they're bound in this trap. When we suffer serious trauma, it takes a lot to heal. Sometimes remembering how serious the situation was, how certain your destruction was, everybody say was, before God saved you can do you a great deal of good going forward. You'll, you know that, you know, and, and, and the answer to all of our ills is not, you know, therapy, but what they have found is that many people that do get help first need to talk about it, right? They got to talk about it. They got to tell their story. They got to go well. And Joy, you've told some of your story. And I know that even telling us about it, about when you were young and about what went through you, you know, you need to talk about that. Why? Why? Because we need to talk about it. And when we talk about it and we go, you know, but, but the Lord was good. And the Lord helped me and the Lord brought me out and the Lord gave me a life and he gave me a son and, and the Lord has blessed, you know, and the, all of a sudden now that old, yucky, horrible, desperate, despairing story becomes part of what amplifies the beauty of your life going forward.
There are many pits and sticky sticks that you never want to land on again. Remembering them protects you from the current dangers that exist. It can fill your heart with thanksgiving for the one and only one who saves and who saved you. This is where hope is healing. This is how we can live through the traumas of our past. This is why it seems to me that David begins this way and his hope seems to be to help others join him on his road to a thankful life of praise for the Savior because this is what God calls all of us to do. He doesn't just call us to like, okay, you're all right. What does he do? As soon as God saves people, what's he do? Do you guys remember the maniac of Gadara? He's there. He's cut. He's bruised. He's wounded. His life has been misery. And Jesus comes. He's, he lands on the shore in his boat. He runs out there. Jesus casts out the spirits from him. They go into the swine. The swine run into the river and die, or run into the Sea of Galilee and die. And what does he tell the man? He said, go back to you where you came from and tell everybody about this. And you learn later that when Jesus comes back to the region, there's a whole lot of people ready to hear from him. Why? Because they learned the story of this man who lived a wretched and horrible and light where he believed he was trapped forever. Could you imagine being possessed with legions of demons who tormented you night and day, who made you want to die, but you wouldn't die, who destroyed every relationship you had and maybe made him into a murderer or God knows what, maybe a rapist, maybe uh, a man who just destroyed other people's lives. I don't know. But if the devils have their way in the lives of people, they do horrible, horrible things. We know it. But what did did he become? He became, he said, hey, I want to come and I want to be with you. Oh, no, well, here's what you do, though. You go go back where you came from and you tell them what I did for you. That's what God calls us to do. Folks, that's what we need. That's what we come to this town for. We are going to see the lost come to Christ. We are looking for them. But I'm telling you, if we come to them with a message of, you know, uh, your kids don't have to go to the public school and, and, and you can have nice friends too. If that's your message, you don't have much of a message for them. The message we have is that I was lost and I was dying and I was bound and I was trapped and my life was miserable and my life was hopeless and I've done worse things than you probably know and you might think I'm clean and and you might think I'm good and you may think we're all dressed up at this church and you don't belong but let me tell you what the people in this church were trapped and we were stuck and there was no hope for us but God everybody say but God but God who was rich in mercy came and he saved us come to the feast and bring someone with you When we get to verse 2, he says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. So now David and Israel are declaring together what the snare was that entrapped them. And in this case, it was men. It was men that rose up against, not just David, but against Israel. When men rose up against us. Sometimes we have to remember a collective event. As good as we are at creating our own pitfalls at times, men of the flesh and blood are directly working against us. Right now, Pastor Nang, our good friend in Myanmar, daily faces the ravages of a rogue military government literally burning and pillaging Christian families. He has told us other times where someone has stabbed him in the chest while preaching, where he was lied onto and falsely imprisoned as a human trafficker, probably to be thrown in a dungeon in a darkness where they would throw away the key and never remember him again. His stories of deliverance are quite miraculous and none of us may have been as close to death as he has been, but for some of us, we too have had our share of people, some believers who call themselves believers and some unbelievers who have sought to bring our downfall In these times for us all, no matter the degree of the persecution, Paul reminded the Ephesians of something that is very important. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Everybody say that. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. But what? But against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In either case, their power against 
us and the harm that they inflict upon us can be terrifying and painful and difficult. We shouldn't forget how serious it was for us, for our families and for our church. But in remembering this, we too can leave behind the trial and remember the one constant that was not and could not be shaken. And that is that God was with us. Yeah, Israel was surrounded and besieged time and time again. They were hauled away. Their towns and cities were destroyed. Their people were gone through horrible things. But this was part of a story God was telling through them. In times like these, God gives us new eyes. I'll tell you this right now. When you go through something horrible that you feel is going to destroy your whole life, it orders your life. All of a sudden, petty things aren't really that important. And all of a sudden, what is important becomes extremely clear. Who matters to you? What's important? All of a sudden, it becomes, before you're just like, oh, I don't even know, you know, it's kind of just kind of sitting my part. No, no. It's very easy in those moments of great difficulty, of even despair, that we figure out what's important. He uses times like these to help us in better days learn what matters most. It eats away at our pettiness and infuses us with grateful hearts. And this would be so if the Lord had not been on our side when the storm came. Storms will come. I remember a man I met one day and he was telling me about his life and he was, and I think I've shared this with the church before, but he was a director of FEMA. And as he was telling me about his life, I realized that he, he was in a dangerous place. And, and I said, brother, I said, and God gave me this, really great picture. I said, I said, is it time to put the uh, plywood over the windows an hour after the hurricane hits? And he goes, no. I go, can you even do it then? He said, no. It's not then. We've got to be prepared. You've got to be anchored to the rock. You have to know who you are before the storm hits. Storms will come, and when they do, I pray our feet is on the rock that cannot be moved, the one that makes sure our house is still standing when the winds and rain recede. As he comes to verse 3, he says, Then they had swallowed us up quick with their wrath was kindled against us. These people were angry. These people were filled with hate. In those times, we were in the mouth of the lion with no hope of escape, trapped between their teeth, the teeth of their anger as they burned in rage toward us to see us perish. You see, our lives can change very quickly in a flash of someone's anger when they allow unforgiveness, bitterness, sometimes jealousy to turn to murder this is what anger is. It is the seed of that cancer that killed Cain, that caused Cain to kill Abel. It began in him. It, it turned into a vileness which then led to murder. We must give anger within our hearts and toward others no quarter whatsoever. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that now are we the children of the light that we should act like it. And one of the main things that he brings out of the shadows and into the light is this truth in God's word that anger cannot be allowed to live among those who call on the name of Jesus. You can, we cannot be an angry people. We can't be mad and filled with anger and bitterness and, and retribution and be looking for revenge. You cannot be that at all. You cannot. That's the way, that's the way people live who walk in darkness. Ephesians chapter 4, right toward the end, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. You know what it is? It's a whole list, Joy, of the different kinds of anger. Let everything that is like anger, get it away from you. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. And every kind of malice. I mean, how often do we get a five or a six word 
tear that all sort of mean the same thing, slightly different. So what is God saying? Get anger away from you. 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 Why? It will kill you. And it will lead you to kill other people or want to kill them. Instead, he calls on these things. He calls us, it says, he mentions the opposite. He says what we should be is kind, tender-hearted, full of mercy toward one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, it is the bitter man whose debt was held against him and he was thrown in prison that when his debt is forgiven, when he doesn't let go of it, what does he do? He gets out of prison and he goes and gets the other man and has him thrown in prison for a little tiny debt. When we are people of anger, the snare of anger sticks to us. We will destroy others and people that are like this are very dangerous to be around. By God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can eschew this evil within our own hearts, but we have no power over what others do to us. You know, we got Benjamin sitting in the back here, packing a little heat, guarding the door, because we live in a world where people today walk in places and do things like that. But the truth is, is if people want to hurt you, there's nothing you can do about it. People want to show up at your house or people want to, you know, attack you when you don't know. The, the very thought, right, is, doesn't the Bible say, if the Lord doesn't watch the city, the watchman wakes but in vain, right? And I'm thankful that, you know, one of your, you know, someone noticed the choking child. But it was the Lord that was watching They can take us unaware. We're helpless to stop them as they endeavor to burn our houses down while we sleep. Folks, we are helpless people. We need God. In those times, we run around like scared children seeing ourselves in a much clearer light that we normally do. We are weak, we're frail, we're foolish, we're easily taken if anyone has a mind to harm us. This should cultivate humility in us as we realize how much we rely on God. You know what happens to people who survive near-death experiences and God saves them? You come to a deeper reliance on God and a deeper understanding that without Him we can do nothing. When we come to verse 4, it says, Then the waters that overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. Troubles from the hands of others can overwhelm us like a flash flood. They come quick and powerful, sweeping us off of our feet as our feeble hands grab onto anything we can. And see how the psalmist includes both the body and the soul. Everybody say, the body and the soul. He moves from something that is just can happen to your body, but we know that things that happen to our body, don't, they don't just sometimes happen to our body, they happen to our body and our soul. It's what's happening because trouble is not merely a threat to our bodies. We can be tempted to believe that God has abandoned us that he is helpless, that he doesn't care about us, that he is even derelict in his promises to care for us. This is when we are most likely in these times to foolishly charge God with the things I just mentioned. This is when the stream that has gone over our bodies now begins to swallow our souls. Remember Job? Do you remember what it said? It mentioned all the horrible things, Sally. And this happened to Job, and this happened to Job, and this happened to Job. And you know what it says? Yet... He foolishly charged not God. What does that mean? I think, I think you know what that means. How many of you, what if you were here and something horrible had just happened to you? What if you, what would you, would you be tempted to go, where was God? Why didn't he help me? Some of you might even be looking at your life right now and you might be tempted to be angry with God for not keeping that thing from happening to you. And what we're seeing in Psalm 124 is that God was there when you landed in the snare. God was there when they put the cage around you. God was there. He was there. He had already provided your freedom. He had already made this a part of your story. You didn't know it. And in those times of despair, you believed that God wasn't there, but he was. He was there watching the whole time. He was there a part of it. He was making you into what you will be through it. 
So he moves to not only body, but body and soul. Verse 5, the proud waters had gone. Now he just takes it to the soul. Now the proud waters had gone over our soul. See this progression in the psalm? In this verse, David is reinforcing the very same picture, the powerful, proud enemies that knocked us off of our feet, our feet of clay, that humbled us, have come close to taking us out, body and soul. There is a real peril in the despair that comes when we find ourselves at what we think is the end. The psalmist takes us to this most difficult moment to what he at the time believed was his last day or Israel's last day, maybe his last moment. He was remembering where he was. And folks, we need to remember where we were, but we never need to do it without remembering where God was. Joseph, remembering being betrayed by his brethren, being sold into slavery, being falsely accused of, you know, trying to take advantage of Potiphar's wife. When he remembered his story, you know what his story is now? Oh, but the Lord was bringing me closer to the house of Pharaoh. He was bringing me closer. Why was he doing this? What they meant for me for evil. God meant it for good. God knew Israel needed saved from a drastic famine that was coming on the land because of God's judgment. And God was going to put me in a place in the house of Pharaoh to save Israel so that Israel could become a mighty nation. That's a whole different story then. They treated me wrong and they betrayed me and they didn't love me and they hurt me and they did me wrong and, and I languished in the prison for years and no one was there and no one helped me and I was cold and I was difficult. Goes, we can live there in the memories of what others have done for us or we can remember our story and go, but you know what God was doing? They say the darkest time is just before the dawn. And we know that's not really true. It's not in the Bible. But maybe in this world it's not true, but it does convey something that is true about trouble. Here in verse 6 of David's Psalm of Ascent, he sees God rising in the darkness and the night fleeing before him. And in the midst of hopelessness, the brightness of the sun of deliverance changes everything. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as prey to their teeth. He snatched us out of the jaws of death and now we live. People of God, each one of us can say what David sings here for this is what God has done for all of us who were delivered from the dark prince of this world under whose despotic rule we were. If the enemy of our soul had his way, Adam's sin would keep us his slaves, stealing, killing, and destroying everything in our lives as sin finishes with us like maggots devour, rotting roadkill. But God, we would be that. We would be lost. We would be gone. We, our end would have come, but God. Two of the most beautiful words in the Bible, but God who is rich in mercy. God showed up here in the life of David, in the life of Israel, and saved them. And for us, Christ did that in our own lives. We, like the dancing harp playing king, need to keep this truth ever before our eyes. This is how we put what has happened to us into the light. Whatever it was that happened to David and Israel changed the rest of their lives. The things that almost kill us can do the same thing for us as it did for him, body and soul. When we get to verse 7, and I'm wondering, did I even read verse 6? Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Verse 7, our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken. We are escaped. These are, some, these are some pretty powerful words. Can you hear David now as he soars? He's flying, Christina. He's not even a man anymore. He's a bird. 
He's retelling the story and he isn't Joseph in the prison anymore. He's an eagle on the wing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's a snare, but it's a snare of just some hunter. And yeah, he's not David anymore and it isn't Israel. He's flying in the clouds. He's already free before the event happens to him in his dream. This is exciting to me. He becomes a bird. All of Israel takes flight with him. Even as he remembers his great trial, he sees Israel personified as a winged creature of the sky as the snare takes hold on him. It's like he's already free before he's ever been trapped. His memory has changed the situation into triumph. David at other times in his life when he ran from Saul dreamed that he could be a bird so that he could lodge and sing with all of Israel again as they gathered for worship at the tabernacle. He remembered that and in this, as he writes this song, he becomes the bird in the song. Here, it is briefly trapped. But it seems to be the trap is really not all that serious anymore. Why? Well, because it's a trap. It's, it's about ready to be broken. He's already declared the Lord's deliverance in, in verse 6. And in verse 7, he's mentioning the trap again, but it's a different way. He retells the story even as the snare takes hold. We can see it. The bird flying still in our mind's eye. And this is what God can do inside of us as we remember what others have done to us and what we were not sure we would survive. Looking back, we too can see ourselves flying out of our troubles even before we fly into them. And this puts God in the front of the fog of sorrow that seeks to reach into our lives sometimes years later and drag us down back into the snare. You see, that's really what people who suffer these things are going through. They suffer that they're living in a life where they're not in a snare, but they feel like they are. They feel like they're being, they feel like they're in the trap, but they're not. Sometimes we've got to re-remember the story, and we've got to remember God was there, and he saved us. We're here now. Here God stands, our deliverer, our savior. And yes, we were trapped as men can be without hope. But God, but God, he saved us and he will always come for us. He never leaves us to be the prey of our enemies, to be food for them. He does not. He gives us wings. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, it says in Isaiah 40. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I won't go into it now, but I think it's a very funny thing, Sister Joy. That you know how we say, oh, we got to crawl and walk and run and maybe fly. And he starts straight off in Isaiah. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings. They get to fly straight out. We, get the, we don't go to, you know, crawling and walking and running. No, we just start off flying. And yeah, we, we walk too. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Yes, eagles whose feet can still stick or be snared in a trap, but who we have been promised will always again take to the wing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. When I came to this line again. I wrote it over and over again and I started pounding the pulpit and I kind of feel in a quiet mood right now but the snare is broken and we are escaped. The snare is broken and we are escaped. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Can you feel that? I can tell you there's a day that would have been the point I would take off running from this pulpit and I'd be like, the snare is broken and we are escaped. The snare. That's, that's what I would do because I'm feeling like that because that is where we are today. The snare is broken and we are escaped. The psalm ends in verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth 
Blessed be the Lord who made us not their prey. What did he do? He made heaven and earth. He made us birds that fly. He gave us wings. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty and the power of Psalm 124 that calls us to look back upon those events in our life, those despairing and difficult and painful events in our lives and see them aright and see them anew with you in the story. Lord, we are here today because of you, because you saved us. Lord, our church is here because you saved it, Lord, because you love us. Lord, you have a bright and beautiful future for us. We will see lost souls saved. We will see wounded hearts healed. We will see the sick and the, 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 the troubled, Lord. You, we will see the waters troubled here and they will be healed here, Lord. Lord, we believe by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by an idea or a program or a way of doing things. We see that by the power of your Holy Spirit, the snare is broken. The snare is broken and we are escaped. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.